Enchanté. You are listening to the What the Fab podcast, where empowered women empower women through candid conversations, inspiring stories, and tangible tips. I'm your host, Elise Armitage. I'm a digital creator, and I left my nine to five job at Google to chase my dreams of being an entrepreneur. I'm so happy to have you here. Let's get into some real talk. Hello, and welcome back to the What the Fab podcast. We're on episode number 22 today. I heard a really interesting stat that is also kind of crazy. So I was listening to um, an interview with Greg McEwen. He's the author of the book Essentialism, one of my favorite books. And he was talking about the importance of consistency. And a stat that he shared was that 90% of podcasters stop recording podcasts after the third episode, which was crazy to me. And then out of that 10% that keeps going, another 90% doesn't make it past the 20th episode. So we're on episode number 22. I'm feeling very proud of that. And yeah, just like he, he made such a great point about how it's important to like pace yourself and not burn out and like go so hard at the beginning that you end up burning out and, and quitting uh, and not being able to sustain and keep that consistency. But anyways, today we are doing a Cliff Notes version of the book, The Big Leap. So this book was recommended to me by Julie Solomon. If you are a content creator, influencer, you're probably very familiar with Julie. And I am part of her Shine Mastermind group. She has a couple of masterminds. I'm part of the Elevate cohort, and it has been such an awesome experience. It's a year-long program. And every month we have different coaches that we are working with for specific different parts of our business. And once a month we meet with Julie as well. And so last month she was talking about this book, The Big Leap. And as soon as I heard her talking about it and and describing what it was about, I was like, I need that. I need to read it because it's all about this idea of your upper limit problem and these like negative self-limiting beliefs that you might hold to be true for whatever reason, even though they probably aren't true and they might be something related to a lesson that you learned in childhood and just kind of subconsciously held onto. And we'll get into some of my personal examples. Um, but when I heard her talking about it, I was like, I do that to myself and I need to read this book. So it's a super easy read. I definitely recommend grabbing a copy. I will link to it in the show notes, which you can find at whatthefab.com slash big leap. It's like 200 pages long. I got through it in a couple of weekends. And I did a Cliff Notes style podcast as one of my very first podcast episodes. Um, it was episode number five, and it was on the book Atomic Habits. And it's one of my most listened to episodes. And I think the appeal is we just we're so busy and we don't have time to read a ton of books and you have to prioritize which book you're going to read that month, that quarter, however often it is that you pick up a new book. But we can definitely listen to an hour-long podcast episode while we're driving or doing the dishes, learn something from it and take real action from it and then dive deeper into that book later on. So that's my goal with these 
book summary podcast episodes, I go through, I read the book, I highlight and dog ear the crap out of it, and then distill the information for you into an episode so that you can take that, learn on the go, and then dive into the book yourself if you feel so inclined. So we are going to get all into this book. We're going to get into what the upper limit problem is, um, how we can transcend it, the types of upper limiting behaviors that we do day in and day out, and again, how to like navigate those. Um, he also has a really interesting chapter about time and like a, a very different perception of time that I think... I have been trying to incorporate and has been making my life a little bit less stressful and just more calm. So we are going to get into all of that before we dive in just a quick thank you to anyone who has left a review on Apple podcasts for the, what the fab podcast. If you haven't yet, if you could take two seconds to leave a review, I would super appreciate it. That is what helps me grow this podcast and just kind of lets me know that you're enjoying the the content and finding value in it. So if you could take a second to do that, that would be amazing. All right, so let's get into the big leap. And just a reminder that the show notes are at whatthefab.com slash big leap. I have a few different like journaling prompts in there that he mentions in the book that are written out there. I also have a free download for you, which I will get more into later on in this episode, but it has to do with um, success mantras. And so I have some cute wallpapers that you can download for free to use as your phone screensaver, lock screen, what have you. So that's whatthefab.com slash big leap. So the main tenet of this book is that we all have one problem that holds us back from success and happiness, and he calls it the upper limit problem. And the more successful people become, the more important it is to identify and overcome your upper limit problem. And once you understand your upper limit problem and how to solve it, Hendrix, the author, suggests that you can not only increase your wealth and financial success, but you can also make huge shifts in the amount of love that you feel in your life, the amount of creativity you're able to express. And and that that's really the key, that life is at its best when love, money, and creativity are all growing in harmony. So this upper limit problem is the idea that we tend to sabotage ourselves from reaching our full potential or our highest happiness or success, which sounds kind of crazy at first. Like, why would we do that to ourselves? But it's not intentional. It has to do with our negative limiting beliefs that, like I mentioned earlier, are formed during childhood and we just take it as truth and we never question it. And the rest of our our lives, we're holding that subconsciously and it becomes this like hidden ceiling and we just take it as truth. And when you reach a certain level of happiness or success, that is your upper limit that you've unconsciously set for yourself. And you find a way to kind of deflate and bring yourself back down. So Hendrix calls this your inner thermostat setting that kind of determines how much love, success, and creativity we can allow ourselves to enjoy. And if you get past that inner thermostat setting, you bring yourself back down. So let me give you some examples of this. So in the book, Hendrix says that when he would reach his upper limit of how much positive feelings he could handle, he would create a series of unpleasant thoughts in his head to deflate himself. And those thoughts were guaranteed to make him return to a state that he was more familiar and comfortable with, which was 
not feeling so good. And so this really struck a chord with me and I could immediately think of a few examples in my life where I do this to myself. So the first example that comes to mind is when I'm feeling just super happy and blissed out with Omid. Like maybe we're lying in bed watching a movie and I have my head on his chest. Maybe we just had great sex and we're lying in bed together. I will have this like feeling of pure bliss and then I will immediately think really negative morbid thoughts like this can't last forever. What if he gets in a car accident to tomorrow? What if he gets taken away from me? What if he gets cancer? Like these random, super negative, super morbid thoughts flood my mind and like immediately bring me back down when I hit this like feeling of just pure happiness and bliss with him. The um, second example I can think of is sometimes I'll just feel happy for seemingly no reason at all. Like I'll be like, doing dishes in in the kitchen or cooking, like not even doing anything special, but I'll just feel so happy and content. And then after I feel that way, I think to myself, like, what do I have to be so happy about? There's nothing like exciting or special going on. And like, okay, that's great that I feel really happy and content right now. But you know, that feeling is not going to last. Like something else is going to happen to like throw that off. Um, so that's another example. Omid, I, I was talking with him about this book and he was like, oh, I have an example. What I do to myself is when we're on vacation, we could have like a week left of vacation and we could be having so much fun. Like we could be in Hawaii. Maybe we just went snorkeling, saw a bunch of turtles. We're lying on the beach. And I think to myself, oh, this, this isn't going to last. It's going to be over soon. Even if there's still like a week left in the vacation, he like brings himself back down to like, this can't last and this feeling of happiness can't last. Um, So other examples could be maybe every time, and this was actually shared by um, someone in the mastermind group when we were talking about it. So every time you hit a financial goal, like a big success or financial goal within your business, you end up picking a fight with your spouse. And actually a lot of women in my mastermind group related to that. And they were like, yes, this, this happens to me. I do this. So there are a lot of other examples that he shared in the book. Um, and again, I definitely recommend reading the book after you listen to this episode. But so the idea is, okay, so now we, we know what the upper limit problem is. What do we do with this? How do we identify and move past our upper limit problem? And is it really possible to consistently be feeling good and having things go well in our life all the time? So if you're like me, you're thinking, no, that's not possible. But Hendricks writes that if you're thinking that to just kind of put that thought aside and to not waste your time worrying about whether it is or isn't possible. In his work, he's proven that it is possible. So the only relevant question to ask yourself is if you'll let that be possible for yourself. And if you're committed to taking the big leap, you're going to have to show your ego to the door, which will be hard. And your ego won't go quietly because it's had a lifetime of employment with you and is used to piping up all the time. So I thought that was just an interesting note that he made. So we can start by thinking about and focusing on the positive things and feelings in our lives right now and just giving that positive feeling your full attention, allowing it to expand and enjoying it for as long as possible. And so 
to me, I'm like, this is just a form of gratitude. You might already have some kind of gratitude practice in your life. For me, I write down three things I'm grateful for every morning, but it's definitely something I can focus more of my thinking on. You guys, I just discovered Newly and had to tell you about it. It's a fashion rental subscription service. So it's basically like Netflix for clothes. I also have a $10 off discount for you, so I'll let you know how to get that in just a sec. So here's how it works. You pick out six pieces of clothing that get shipped right to your home. You wear them for as long as you want, and then when you're done, you send them back in the same packaging it arrived in. There's a return label in there and everything. Super easy. And they have such cute pieces from brands like Anthropology, Ralph Lauren, Badgley Mishka, Free People just to name a few. And if you fall in love with a piece and you decide you want to keep it, you can buy it at a super discounted rate. Like I'm seeing anywhere from 15 to 70% off the retail price for the pieces that I have at home right now. You also don't have to worry about washing anything or even if you accidentally damage it, you know, you spill some coffee or pop a sequin or two off, Newly will take care of it and you won't be charged. Personally, I am feeling a little bit uninspired with my closet and my clothes right now after the pandemic, so Newly has just been a great, affordable, sustainable option for me to have a bunch of new outfits every month and just get excited about dressing up again. You can pause or cancel Newly at any time, and I also have a referral link for you to get $10 off your first month. Just go to whatthefab.com slash Newly, and Newly is spelled N as in Nancy, U-U-L-Y. Enjoy, and let's get back to the episode. An example that Hendrix gives that I really liked was around money. So instead of waiting to feel good until you have all the money that you think that you want, take time right now to appreciate your current money supply. So find a place within yourself where you can feel good about the money you have and create positive thoughts around it. So a thought like, I enjoy the money that I have, or I always have plenty of money to do everything I want to do. And you can create these positive thought patterns around other areas of your life as well, like love and relationships. And so that's a good starting point. But then he also talks about identifying your different zones. So you have your zone of incompetence, zone of competence, zone of excellence, and zone of genius. And the goal is to be operating in your zone of genius. So let's talk about what these four different zones are. So your zone of incompetence is made up of everything that you're not good at and you don't enjoy. So the best way to handle this zone is to completely free yourself from doing things in this zone altogether. You delegate them, you find a creative way to avoid doing them. For me, that would be things like doing my taxes or the tech and web development side of my website. In my personal life, that would be things like cleaning my house. I did it after we had moved in, cleaned the entire house. It took me an entire Saturday and I was super grumpy afterwards. And honestly, I didn't even do that good of a job. So that is something that I now delegate just like I do. I just like I delegate my taxes and um, web development for my website. Your zone of competence includes things that you can do, but others can do them just as well. And you likely don't get any joy out of it. So it's really easy to expend too much time and energy into this zone. 
for me, when I think about this zone, I think about how I just hired an amazing assistant, shout out to Vicki, and how I really should have hired her sooner because she takes on a lot of the things that are in my zone of competence, but she does them just as well, if not better. And that frees up my time to do other things that are in my zone of excellence or my zone of genius. And so that would be things, she takes on things like bookkeeping and invoicing, researching brand contacts, managing my inbox. That's all stuff that, yes, I can do and I can do it well, but I don't have to be the one doing it in my business. Your zone of excellence are the things that you do extremely well. So you can make a really good living working inside of this zone. And for successful people, it can be a very seductive zone that you can kind of get trapped in. And it's dangerous because staying in this zone helps keep you from taking the big leap into your zone of genius. And so it's tempting to stay in your zone of excellence. It's very comfortable. Your friends and family want you to stay there. And you it, you provide a steady supply of all the things that your family, friends, organizations, the man, like that everything thrives on. But your zone of genius is where Hendrix says you'll find your ultimate path to success and life satisfaction. And it's where you're doing activities that you are uniquely suited to do and that draw on your special gifts and strengths. And so the goal is to get there. So those are the four zones. Now let's talk about what triggers the upper limit problem. Hendrix says that there are four hidden barriers based on fear and false beliefs. Everyone has one. Some people might have two or three. He says he's never worked with someone that had all four. So these hidden barriers are all based on beliefs about ourselves that seem to be true and real but they're not. We unconsciously take them as truth. We take them as real. And that is what holds us back. So let's get into these four hidden barriers. The first one is feeling fundamentally flawed. So you might have an upper limit mindset like I cannot fill in the blank here. I cannot reach my full creative genius. I cannot be fully happy, reach financial success, find true love, whatever it is, because something is fundamentally wrong with me. Like, I'm flawed, I'm wrong, I'm bad, so how can I be this happy, rich, creative, successful, whatever? Hidden barrier number two is disloyalty and abandonment. So you might have an unconscious mantra that goes something like this. I cannot expand to my full success because it would cause me to end up all alone, be disloyal to my roots, and leave behind people from my past. The third hidden barrier is believing that more success brings a bigger burden. So like more money, more problems. Your upper limit mantra could be, I can't expand to my highest potential because I would be an even bigger burden than I am now. And the last hidden barrier is the crime of outshining. A mantra for this one could be, I must not expand to my full success because if I do, I will outshine XYZ, your spouse, your sister, whoever, and make them look or feel bad. Now, I'm going to be honest, I personally did not really identify with any of these. In the book, he goes into examples for people who, who he's worked with who have had each of these barriers. And a lot of these thoughts get distilled, get 
instilled in childhood. Um, Like, for example, he was seen as a burden because his father died while he was still in the womb and his mother suffered from depression and he was sent to live with his grandparents for most of his childhood. Like, I could definitely see how he carries that third barrier of being a burden with him. Um, So I encourage you to reflect, see which one or ones you relate to, read more about each one, do some journaling. I'm going to as well um, because like I said, none of them really stood out to me as like, oh yeah, that makes sense for me. I think the only one that could maybe, um, I could maybe find relatable is in some sense, the one about just like being flawed. Not that I think that I'm flawed, but I do kind of sometimes have this feeling of like, who am I to, you know, receive this, have this kind of success? Who am I to be this happy? Um, so anyways, that's something that I'm going to be digging into more um, for myself personally. But now that we have a look at these hidden barriers, let's get into how to spot the upper limit problem in your daily life. Okay, I don't know if you saw it on the blog, but I finally finished designing and decorating my office with Havenly. Havenly is an online interior design service, and you guys, they are freaking awesome. And honestly, just such an affordable price point for the type of service that they deliver. And of course, I have a discount code for you. So here's how Havenly works. You pick a designer, you can look through all of their previous designs, find someone that aligns with you and your style, and then you can fill out a whole style quiz and info about the room that you're looking for interior design help with. Then you get into the fun part. So your designer will put together a few different mood boards for you, you give feedback on them, and then they start designing renderings for your room and giving you actual product options to choose from. So they'll be like, based on your mood board and your style, here are a few different rugs, sofas, whatever furniture and decor it is that you're looking for for your space. And then you can go through and finalize pick your selects or ask for totally new options. And then once the design is exactly what you want, you can just check out directly through Havenly in one click. So instead of going to Wayfair's website and West Elm's website and a bunch of different websites and checking out a bunch of different times, you can buy everything all at once through Havenly. You know I'm an efficiency freak, so that part really speaks to me. You can get 25% off your design package with my code WTFAB. Just go to havenly.com to use it. And if you want to see more pictures of my Boho Glam office that they designed, just go to whatthefab.com and search for office. It'll pop right up. Okay, let's get back to the episode. So there are a few typical ways that we upper limit ourselves. And the first one is worry. Worrying is usually a sign that we're upper limiting ourselves and we're usually not thinking about something useful. And so the crucial sign we're worrying unnecessarily is when we're worrying about something we have no control over. So when things are going well for us, our upper limit kicks in and we suddenly start worrying about things going wrong in some way. And those worry thoughts just breed more and more worry thoughts. And we create these scenarios in our head where everything falls apart. I absolutely do this to myself when it comes to my business, when my business is doing really well financially. It's like I can't take that in and enjoy a financial milestone for very long, like more than a day, because I start worrying like, well, what if the next month my business doesn't do as well? Or, well, this financial 
success can't last forever. Next year might not be as good. But here's the thing. Almost none of our worry thoughts actually have to do with reality. So to decide if a worry thought is actually something you should pay attention to, you can ask yourself two questions. So first question, is it a real possibility? And second question, is there any action I can take right now to make a positive difference? I'm definitely going to practice asking myself this so that I can let go of these worry thoughts as much as possible. Because when things are going well or you're feeling particularly good, you can always bring yourself back down by creating a stream of these worry thoughts, like super quickly, super easily. So with the example of me feeling super blissed out and happy lying in bed next to Omid and then all of a sudden having these worry thoughts about him being taken from me somehow, a car accident, cancer, something awful happening, I can ask myself first, is it a real possibility? Okay, yes, it it is something that could conceivably happen. It's probably unlikely, but is it a real possibility? Sure. And then the second question, is there any action I can take right now to make a positive difference? The answer to that one is obviously no. So I can just tell myself, remind myself, I can put that worry thought to rest. It's not helpful right now. It's not helpful. Um, It's not doing anything for me. There's nothing useful there. I'm going to read a section from the book about this um, worrying part that really resonated with me. So he says, it took me a long time to figure out that 99% of my worrying was completely unnecessary. It was very humbling to realize that my worries were there just to make me miserable. It was even more humbling to realize that I was the guy who had his finger firmly pressed on the misery button. It was wonderful though, to discover that I also had the power to quit pressing the button. I love that. Okay, so moving on to the second way we can upper limit ourselves, and that is through criticism and blame. So Hendrick says that self-criticism and criticizing others are one and the same and both part of the same upper limit pattern. They're both addicting behaviors and easy ways to mess up the flow of positive energy. So similar to worrying, criticism is only useful if it's actually directed at a specific thing to produce a specific useful result. This was another upper limiting behavior that I related to. I can be very hypercritical of myself and others around me, which talking with my therapist, that makes sense because we hold other people, like especially people close to us, like our partners, um, family members, we hold others to the same standards that we hold ourselves. So if I'm being critical of myself, why wouldn't I be critical of those close to me? But what does that actually do? And I think it's good to have high standards and to always strive to be better, but to constantly criticize or feel the need to blame, I can definitely see that as an upper limiting mechanism. The third upper limiting behavior is deflecting. And so that's where we literally stop the flow of positive energy by just avoiding it altogether. So you do this if you can't take a compliment, like you get uncomfortable or you even go as far as to negate the compliment. So for example, someone gives you a compliment at work and says, you did a great job on a presentation and you respond with, oh, you know, I actually ran out of time. I really messed up this one section. Instead, try to gracefully accept that compliment and savor that positive feeling. So you can respond with, 
thank you. I worked really hard on it and I still feel like there were some areas I could have tweaked, but I'm really glad it came across well. I think that accepting compliments without deflecting them is especially hard for women. And it reminds me of this kind of workshop exercise that we would do at some of our women in tech events at Google. It's called I Am Remarkable. And it's a very simple exercise. Everyone just on a piece of paper writes down, I am remarkable because, and you fill in the blank. It can be literally anything, but you just write down one reason why you think you are remarkable. And then you get up in front of the group and you share it. You read that statement and it is uncomfortable. We are so used to and conditioned as women to like be humble, to not brag. We don't want to be abrasive. Um, you know, we don't want to come across too strong. And so like to get up and say, I am remarkable because I run a six figure business that I built from scratch or whatever it is. Like it, it makes, it makes people uncomfortable. Um, so I think, you know, this can be especially difficult for women, but um, it's something I'm really going to keep in mind to just like soak up any compliments, receive it, enjoy and savor that positive feeling instead of negating it or deflecting. Another upper limiting belief is arguing. And it's a super common way to bring yourself back down when you've hit your upper limit and things have been going well. So I shared the example earlier of someone who hits a financial success marker in their business and then like clockwork gets into a fight with her husband. And I think just being aware of this is so helpful. Like, oh, I'm, I'm about to upper limit myself, about to pick that fight. Like, let me just go for a walk instead. So those are a few really common upper limiting behaviors. There are plenty of others. Um, some of those would include getting sick or hurt. He has a whole section on that in the book. Um, not speaking important truths to relevant people, not sharing your feelings with relevant people, um, or not keeping agreements. All right, so now that we're aware of these things and these upper limiting behaviors, we can consciously take a step back when we notice ourselves engaging in these behaviors and then shift our attention to increasing our capacity for love, abundance, and success. So think about what is a new story you can tell yourself that involves you enjoying your life in all your freaking glory and all your potential and lean into that feeling. All right. At this point, we are over halfway through the book in this Cliff Notes version. And the next couple sections are all about identifying and living in your zone of genius, as well as a section on Einstein time, which we'll get into. So when it comes to finding your zone of genius, you'll want to ask yourself and reflect on a set of questions. I have these all listed out in the show notes at whatthefab.com slash big leap, but some of them include, what do I most love to do? What work do I do that doesn't seem like work? In my work, what produces the highest ratio of abundance and satisfaction to amount of time spent? And what is my unique ability? So these are all in an effort to identify what is my genius and how can I bring forth my genius in a way that serves others and myself at the same time. And to be clear, when we're talking about your unique ability, that doesn't mean you're the only person on the planet with this ability. Like millions of other people might have this very special ability, but it's probably rare within your personal circles. And it's probably something that you're so innately good at that you might not even see it as a skill set at first. It's just like 
part of your nature. It might be something that made an appearance early on in your life when you were a child. And the other thing that Hendrix calls out that um, made me feel better is that you can commit to living in your zone of genius, even if you're not exactly sure what that is or what that looks like just yet, which I was like, okay, a few, because I'm not entirely sure what mine is. And I'm still reflecting on some of these journaling prompts. I feel like it has to do with creating. So like content for my blog, for my podcast, etc. And then not only that, but creating in a way that inspires other people to take positive action in their daily lives, because that's when I feel super lit up inside. Like when somebody listens to a podcast episode and then sends me a DM or an email and they're like, oh my gosh, like this resonated with me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going through a really hard time with my work and I'm trying to figure out my next steps and like feeling lost in my career. And this episode, like I took this and this away from me. It was like, people have told me that something that they heard is like life-changing, like, whoa, that is a big impact. And that's what really like gets me feeling like super, super excited. Okay, so you've committed to living in your zone of genius. You're determining what that means for you and what your unique gift is. And then how do you stay there? How do you stay living in your zone of genius? So Hendrix sees this as like a continuous spiral going higher and higher forever. It's like the Mean Girls quote, the limit does not exist. And one key factor that he found to help with this commitment of living in your zone of genius is to have a mantra that's like your guiding principle. He calls it your ultimate success mantra. So it's what you use to center yourself, center your mind and your actions and help you make decisions. And so the ultimate success mantra that he shares is, I expand in abundance, success, and love every day as I inspire those around me to do the same. So this is what he uses, and he has refined this mantra over decades of working with thousands of people, but you can tweak it, you can make it your own, you can do what feels good to you, but the idea is that whatever your ultimate success mantra is, it tells you to expand rather than contract or remain the same. And you can use your mantra formally in a meditation practice or informally as you go about your day. Um, in the book, he kind of gives suggestions for like how to meditate on it, but you know, the idea is basically like saying that mantra to yourself, giving yourself like 10 to 20 seconds to just like meditate on that thought. If your mind wanders, kind of like bringing it back, repeating that thought, like doing that for a few minutes every day. You can also write your mantra on sticky notes and post it in a bunch of different places where you will see it throughout the day. You can put it as your desktop background on your computer. You can make it your phone's wallpaper. Um, I actually have edited the names of my alarms on my phone to be my mantra. So it's literally the first thing I see when I wake up in the morning. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, but I also made some really cute free downloadable backgrounds for you for your phone or your lock screen with this mantra on it. So you can grab them at the show notes, whatthefab.com slash big leap and make one of them your phone's background. One of the last chapters is about living in Einstein time. So it's this idea that for your life to work harmoniously, you need to develop a harmonious relationship with time. And most of us 
definitely including myself, have a really difficult relationship with time and balancing all of our priorities. We have a very, as he calls it, Newtonian view of time. There's a finite amount of it. It has to be carefully portioned out so there's enough to do the things we want to do. It's definitely a scarcity mindset when it comes to time, which leads to this uncomfortable feeling of urgency. Like I said, this is 100% how I feel about time. It's a commodity. I don't like people wasting it. There's never enough of it. I feel like I'm racing against it. And so instead, Hendricks asks us to adopt Einstein time. And in Einstein time, time is abundant and expansive. And here's the kicker. You are the source of time. I'll be honest. I read that and I was very confused. (laughs) It sounded, it just sounded really woo to me. And I was like, that's not true. (laughs) Like what? Like I'm not the source of time. Time is time. And there's only so many hours in a day. But the more I thought about it, the more I could think of examples where time is relative and cultural and a construct. Um, The example that came to mind was when I traveled to India for work for a couple of weeks. So, I mean, I, I was working, this was when I was at Google and I was leading Google's presence at a conference in India. And so for a couple months leading up to the conference, I was working with people that were, you know, based in India. And I was already noticing just kind of like the frustrating cultural differences in how we perceive time. Um, So like, for example, deadlines just don't, (laughs) they just didn't really mean very much to my colleagues in India. And so like things like I'm, I was a project manager. So like, I'm trying to, you know, knock out these milestones and deadlines um, based on the dates that I had set and anything that depended on team members in India doing things, just they just were not getting done in the timely manner that I wanted them to. So I was already kind of noticing this. And then when I got there, I was like, oh, culturally, people in India view time as circular and it just goes around and around and it never ends. And there's always more of it. There's always going to be more. And While it did produce some like frustrating kind of clashes where like deadlines didn't mean shit to them because it's like, what is time? Who cares? It also really produced some beautiful things and differences. Um, So an example would be I was dealing with all of these T-shirts that, um, you know, like a hundred or so different Google volunteers and attendees were going to be wearing. And so there's like the the male cut and the female cut and then like all the different sizes for all those, you know, for the different cuts. And um, they came delivered like completely disorganized. And I was like, this is going to be a shit show when people are trying to grab their shirts. So I started spreading them out in the office on the floor and, and organizing them myself. And someone came up to me she she wasn't even a conference attendee. She wasn't on any of the like related sister teams. She she just saw me doing this and she asked me, "Oh, do you need help with that?" And I was like, "Actually, yeah, that would be amazing." And she just like sat with me for a half hour and helped me deal with this like mess of t-shirts. I literally would never have offered anyone that kind of help if they weren't like on my team and, you know, like just a random person, I would never do that because I'm like, I, I don't have time. Um, but I think because they have such a different perception of time, 
Whereas like in America, we view time very linear and there's, you know, only a certain amount of it. My colleagues in in India viewed it very differently. Um, The other thing I noticed that they would do is like they would stop and talk like in the we had these like snack bars called micro kitchens at Google. Like they would stop and chat for like 30 minutes. (laughs) And again, as an American, I'm like, oh, my God, like we've got stuff to do. Like, how can you take 30 minutes to stop and chat with someone? But again, they're not worried about running out of time because there's always going to be more time. So that was just an example that came to my mind when I was like, okay, like, you know, thinking about that example in India just kind of opened my mind to how the way that I have viewed time my entire life is not the end all be all and it may not be the only way to view time. And so Hendricks shares the example of Einstein explaining his theory of relativity, you know, that the time is relative and the rate at which time passes depends on your frame of reference. So you've heard that Einstein quote, when you sit with your beloved for an hour, I think he says like when you sit with a pretty girl, but the way that Hendricks wrote it was your beloved, which I thought was much more equal. And I liked, so when you sit with your beloved for an hour, you think it's only a minute, but when you sit on a hot stove for a minute, you think it's an hour. That's relativity. Hendricks says that this is a great example because when you're forced to do something that you don't want to do or is painful, like sitting on a hot stove, you are contracting within yourself and away from the pain, away from the stove, and focused on trying to not occupy the space that you're in. You're focused on how you don't want to be doing the thing you're doing or feeling the thing you're feeling. And that act of contracting your awareness away from the space that you're in makes time harden versus when you're embracing your beloved, your awareness is flowing in the opposite direction outwards towards space. So every cell in your body is just yearning to be in union with the person you're in love with. Your awareness flows out, your consciousness expands into space and your sense of time disappears. You forget about time. So he says, when you're willing to occupy all space, time simply disappears. You're everywhere all at once. There's no place to get to and everywhere you are is exactly the right time. Now, at this point, you are maybe like me and hearing this for the first time and you're like, this all feels very woo and very abstract to me and I'm with you on that, but I would encourage you to just keep your mind open. So I just finished reading this book a few days ago and just by being more open to some of these ideas about time, I already feel kind of a loosening of my grip on it and like need to control my time. I know it's really ironic because a couple episodes ago I did my time management episode (laughs) where I'm like, this is how I manage my time. And like, it's very like cut and dry for me. I think it's going to fall somewhere in the middle and be a balance, but we're, we're going to see how it goes. So Hendricks goes on to say that when we switch to Einstein time, we take charge of the amount of time that we have. And we realize that we are where time comes from, which is a liberating thought. Like if I'm the source of time, I can make as much of it as I need. So how do we begin? The first step is to get ourselves in harmony with the idea that you're the source of time. Even if you don't believe it, 
just act like it's true. Tell yourself it's true. The first day I started doing this, I 100% did not believe that or understand how that could be true. But I noticed subtle shifts in how I felt throughout the day. So whenever I needed to make a decision that was time-based, like, do I have time to do my full morning routine? Am I going to finish this project today? I told myself I am the source of time. And it helped me feel so calm and relaxed and just unrushed. The other thing you'll want to try is to stop complaining about time, cold turkey, because complaining about time puts you in the victim position. How many times do we say things like, I can't believe it's 4.30 already. How is it already June? The year's half over. I don't have time to do that right now. These all come from a scarcity mindset of treating time as a commodity and like there isn't ever enough of it. So I've really been working on trying to catch that and catch myself before saying those types of things, um, which is an interesting exercise. You'll be surprised how often you want to make comments like that about time. The other thing to think about is to notice what time pressure feels like in your body. So both in terms of feeling hurried and feeling bored on the opposite end of the spectrum, for me, feeling hurried feels like a buzzing sensation or like a tingling in my body, like especially my chest and my head. And then feeling bored feels very sluggish and heavy. And if I think about it, and Hendrix calls this out in his book, and I really related to it, that buzzing sensation of feeling hurried is the same kind of feeling I get when I'm super excited about something. So it's no wonder that I would choose feeling hurried and that chaotic buzzing sensation over feeling sluggish and bored. So that chapter on time was especially interesting and also hard for me. And I reread it before recording this episode and I'm still questioning things, but I do feel like I've made some positive shifts in how I think about time already. So as we wrap things up, Hendrix just reinforces that this is a continuous journey of transcending our upper limits. You're not just going to wake up one day and be like, ah, my upper limits, I've surpassed them and they're never going to try and knock me down again. It's a practice. And each time we transcend our upper limit, we make room for more abundance. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I really, really recommend reading the book and doing some of the journaling and reflecting exercises. I think there's so much value in it. And like I said, it's a really easy, quick read. So I will link to it again in the show notes, whatthefab.com slash big leap. And if you enjoyed this episode, if you put any of these things into practice, if you get the book, definitely take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Insta stories, tag me, share a few key takeaways or things that you're doing. I would love to hear. I am at WTFab on Instagram. And again, thank you for tuning into this episode. If you have any other thoughts or feedback, if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing. And until then, I'm going to wrap this bad boy up and we'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>